The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. A rainy 57-degree night here in the Bay Area for a special Saturday edition of Dunked On with Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue. How was that? Do Better you even than know? I could have done, that's for sure. <laughs> Do you even know who I was imitating? That's, that's the, well, that uh, was Marv, right? Yes. All right. That's good. <laughs> uh, inspired, inspired by his call on Friday night, I assume. Yeah. So why don't we start with the game that was just completed, Portland and Golden State, 3-0 Golden State lead. And Portland certainly may lament the missed opportunity in game two. They'll lament the missed opportunity in this game that they had sizable first half leads in both games. But this is a Warriors team, which by the end of game three was missing three of their six best players. And still Portland just could not get it done. They couldn't score at all in the second half, scoring only 33 points on 51 possessions in the second half. And they just could not get the ball in the basket. They dominated the offensive glass early that went away and really i think probably the place to start in this game is just that that dame lillard and cj mccollum did not have it it's as good a place to start as any and both of them lillard in the first half cj more throughout got to the free throw line they had a combined 20 free throw attempts in this game and the warriors as a team had 23 but lillard 5 of 18 from the field 2 of 9 on twos 3 of 9 on threes cj 7 of 20 from the field, including 2 of 10 from 3. Also combined 6 turnovers from those two guys. And yeah, 5 of those by Lillard. Who, five who of really, those I, I thought his performance was the bigger issue. Than, oh, by uh, far. Than CJ's. Oh. Yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, and especially because CJ kept on drawing fouls and getting Warriors in the air. And Lillard wasn't bringing as much positive to the table. And I also thought we got some reminders, particularly in that second half, that his, his defense has been really lacking in this series as well. Yeah, I mean, he's... He's better than some other superstar point guards defensively, and he's tried harder. He's given more of an effort, but just had so much to do defensively. McCollum as well, just chasing Steph and Clay off those screens. You just, you got to be locked in both mentally and physically uh, on every possession uh, against these Warriors, in particular with KD out uh, when they're moving the ball more. And Lillard hit a couple of buckets late, but for a lot of the time, he was stuck uh, on three made field goals. At one point, he had more turnovers than field goals in the series. I think that he's righted that ship slightly, but uh, that's been a, a major problem. And perhaps you can posit that the Blazers, after that seven-gamer against Denver, playing every other day since then, really just uh, have not had the, the energy yet any longer um well i I think that's a part of it but another major adjustment this was more of a story in game one but i think it came came to the fore in this one as well is playing a significantly better defense that the the lanes for passes the finishes at the rim and i thought portland did a much better job getting shots around the basket early on that those 
those easier avenues for buckets started going away, and so Portland had to take tougher shots, and the Warriors are an incredibly good defense. And then the other part, I mean, we saw this especially at the end of the game, against a team with this kind of defensive ceiling, even without Iguodala and Kevin Durant, I mean, Draymond Green was an absolute monster, we'll talk about that at some length later on in this, you have to be able to get stops. And Portland, you know, they if they, they just couldn't get, even, even force a particularly tough shot for the Warriors other than a couple of Clay Thompson ones during the last like six minutes of the game yeah that it was definitely once Golden State started going to just the high pick and roll with Steph every single time first Myers Leonard was in there Curry hit a three and got two easy drives to the basket when he was in there just traffic cone him they take him out they go with Harkless etc they try and switch then the Warriors still just the alacrity with which they attack all of these actions switching the angle of the screen slipping and Portland just is not the same team that Houston is they're not as physical they're not as big they haven't practiced it they don't deny they don't make you uncomfortable at all you can switch with the theory of just staying between your man in the basket but it's really a last resort for this Portland team when nothing else was working. Um, well, and and beyond that, something that the Warriors do better than a lot of the the other teams attacking switching defenses is that they have enough intelligent passers and patient players that, like Curry, had a couple of beautiful ones, and yeah, he throws some stupid passes sometimes, but he can kind of wait out the attacks. And there were also some really smart cuts. I was thinking of one. I think it was in the second quarter when Sean Livingston cut not to the basket. He basically cut to the free throw line Draymond found him for a jumper and those sorts of plays Looney had a couple of patient finishes where Collins was just jumping because he's Zach Collins and he's jumping for everything and Looney just waited that extra beat got a finish and so the Warriors work they don't necessarily work harder but they work smarter offensively and that just kills any team that can't execute yeah and the Blazers lack of athleticism we've been hitting on this uh, all series they just don't have the guys in the perimeter who can make you uncomfortable Evan Turner had some good moments but he was basically a, a lone wolf and even he is just an average NBA athlete at best the Blazers don't have guys who are going to get into you they don't have guys on the backside other than their center when it's Zach Collins who, who are going to make these finishes difficult so you know there's a bunch of times where you throw it under to Looney he pump fakes and then he just gets the guy in the air and finishes where against a lot of teams you know certainly if they play against the Bucks or Raptors that pump fake okay you got the first guy in the air but there's another guy coming over who's gonna block your shot you know, and Portland just doesn't have that level of intensity that level of athleticism I did think that Terry Stotts hit some buttons here that worked well Myers Leonard played very well in the first half running the floor hitting shots making passes out of uh, the Warriors double teams uh, on Damon CJ out top then he went to something that we'd been advocating since game one which was play ns cancer at the start of the fourth or the start of the second when it's jordan bell who's too small for him and when curry is out of the game so his defensive deficiencies aren't nearly as exposed and they did that in cancer it was awesome they played even cancer and zach collins together they destroyed the offensive glass during that period for some reason those stats didn't go back to that in the second half i don't understand why he went with cancer earlier when golden state went to the curry and four dudes who can't shoot lineup and Cantor got hurt and that then he takes them out right at the point when curry comes out of the game and they go back uh, to bell uh, and looney um I, I thought that the blazers didn't do quite as good of a job of stringing out golden state's traps which for a large, large part of the game i thought were not incredibly well executed where what what they would do is lillard would come off the screen and usually looney uh, or bell would be on him and 
and he would try to just kind of back it out and take that guy one-on-one and then eventually the Warriors would come with a double team once kind of the pick and roll had ended and so Lillard didn't do as good of a job to me as getting separation between the point of the screen uh, to drag that out and make those guys chase him and then you find the big after that when he's really got the four on three um I thought they could have just tried to go faster as well immediately when the the screen happened and they still did some of their splitting of the pick and roll but it it would just got to be too much for me and I thought what was particularly telling to me was the layups that Dame Lillard was missing in the second half where it seemed like he just did not have the legs he was getting blocked by Looney then he was rushing his finishes he wasn't quite getting as much separation uh, and you know three of nine from three was fine for him it was just you know two out of nine two-point shooting for a guy who usually shoots it pretty decently from two and then only six assists and five turnovers so it was uh not the series that Dame Lillard wanted I mean he's had some brief flashes during game two but other than that it's been really ugly for him um what else took out to you on the Warriors side well I actually want to go to the Blazers for a point there Portland in the fourth quarter was three of seven on shots in the restricted area and they only had one offensive rebound in the entire quarter so that means that I mean and there were some of those where it was like a, a contest missed layup and then the Warriors are going five on four the other way largely getting a clean look and also I want to mention while we're still on the Blazers the missed free throws I mean if this game had been closer that probably would have been a bigger part of the story of the game as a team they went 20 of 33 that's 61 percent from the line CJ 7 of 12 somebody in the comments on our NBA cast so I have not cross-referenced this said that it was the first time CJ McCollum had ever missed I think more than two free throws in a playoff game this is his 45th 7 to 12 is rough also a lot of bench players missed at least one Zach Collins missed one on a flagrant foul that Jonas Drebko had and and lots of other guys had had issues there and so there were there were definitely pathways especially sort of paralleling game two where if Portland had done a few things a little bit more right they could have had a larger lead would that larger lead have held I don't know maybe but those and then of course in the fourth quarter if they had done a little bit better then the game could have been much closer yeah you you mentioned three of seven in the fourth quarter 12 of 27 for the game at the rim and then three of 11 from floater range so yeah 15 out of 38 in the paint probably not going to get it done they actually made up for it by hitting eight out of 12 mid-rangers but uh, I, I shouldn't say made up for it because it wasn't uh, enough uh, they counterbalanced it uh, a little bit all right we'll talk a little bit more about this game uh, momentarily but first uh, this from hymns which is a one-stop shop for hair loss skin care and sexual wellness for men i've actually been using finasteride since i was 25 i'm 39 now and i noticed uh, some signs of losing my hair in my mid-20s and decided to give that a try as a preventative measure i think that's uh, when it works best uh, to keep your hair as opposed to once you've already lost it trying to regrow it so it's definitely good to be proactive about this if that's something that's important to you which and uh it's something that was important to me i do wish though that when i had started that that hymns had been around far less uh, expensive than normal pharmacies from what i found they send it directly to your door you don't have to go to the doctor's office you can connect to a real doctor online instead it's totally discreet and confidential you answer a few quick questions 
take a photo of the areas where you feel like you're starting to get some hair loss they determine whether their treatments are right for you and they can prescribe it for you if you guys start by ordering now you can get the hymns complete hair kit for just five dollars while supplies last and of course subject to doctor's approval restrictions apply see website for full details go to forhims.com slash cap space easy to remember that slash cap space url because we discuss it all the time here on the program that's forhims f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com slash cap space once again for hymns.com slash cap space so uh steve kerr's center roulette was quite interesting i i texted slater after the inexplicable jamie and jones minutes in game two wondering if kerr would start damian jones at center in the next game he in fact did that jones was awful i think they only scored two points while he was out there he has no idea where to be offensively he can't make a decision he can barely catch a pass he's not a great screener he committed three fouls in basically three minutes and by some miracle was only negative five i thought the blazers really failed to take advantage during that period and overall in that first quarter they could have had a much larger lead as the the warriors got back into it late in the period but well do you want to know why he was only negative five yes i do i believe it was because the last foul he committed oh no he it looks like they did give him blame or whatever for those free throws Uh, because because he got subbed out during those so i got that a little bit wrong thankfully they logged that correctly but i mean he was awful but that isn't i mean it's not really in some ways his fault he wasn't any worse well, than at, i expected least he, him to at be. least he went away from him <laughs> like right that's, exactly that's the only saving yeah and, I, mean, I mean jones the big to me the biggest mistake he made was on the cj foul because jones was in position he had done what he needed to do he is significantly taller than cj mccullum and then he still bites on the pump fake makes it an easy three shot foul and then that was his third foul and gets pulled from the game and yeah i guess you give credit to kerr for only making a that bad decision once <laughs> i guess i guess that's a good a good thing and the one of the stories of the first half was terry stotts outmaneuvering steve kerr especially in terms of the center rotation kerr has is often very regimented in terms of when he plays his support players like for example like alfonso mckinney's minutes haven't changed too much until what happened to Iguodala, which we'll talk about and it was the largely the same thing with jordan bell so it was really smart not only to play ennis canner when steph curry was off the floor which is basically mandatory considering his limitations defensively but that squared up with jordan bell and so eventually he kind of he went to bogut briefly in those minutes in the in the second quarter it stands to the bleeding a smidge but then in not the second, really bogut was terrible too i mean yeah I, he, and, he wasn't good either yeah yeah bogut uh one of the things that people forget about it i mean he's a big center but he actually really does struggle with strength and physicality on his defensive glass um you know more of a, a rim protector smart player screener but uh you know really it's not the greatest just tussling guys and he's lost weight since then so i think it's been uh a little bit more of a problem even uh but yeah i mean it was despite that though uh they got great minutes out of jordan bell uh, who was excellent as a switch defender other than one foul that he committed uh, on mccollum had some great plays running the floor other than his missed dunk but had another play where he was out on the floor contesting on the pick and roll sprints back and got a block at the rim uh, on the same play just like two seconds later just his overall athleticism was outstanding and they didn't get hurt on the defensive glass when he was out there either a lot looney was awesome as well he was responsible for a lot of those lillard misses in the second half at the rim and looney's lack of athleticism against this blazers team finishing is not that big of a deal either uh so it was really an excellent 
point game from those warrior centers and once myers leonard cooled off in the second half it was basically curtains for the blazers what else you got on this one well i thought this was another excellent game from draymond green yeah we haven't talked about him enough yet he defensively again he was everywhere was was around as a switch defender but i thought he was most impactful in the lane affecting shots without fouling that much you know he got in got in a little bit every once in a while actually interestingly the guy who did by far the best job scoring against draymond green was evan turner turner got two baskets and a foul in i think part of two of them were in the second quarter and then one was in the second half and but ever other than him i mean green was really everywhere he was fighting for rebounds and and blocking shots but then the under i think the underappreciated part especially with kevin durant out of what draymond has done in this series is keying the offense he has he has provided the most pace for this team he he kind of creates these semi-transitions out of thin air where they didn't really run but he just pushes it by himself and it doesn't always create a layup for him though it has more than a few times but it creates a seam and then the Warriors can use that in various different ways to get an open look for somebody you know maybe that's Looney because they come over to recover and he just has an easy pass or it could be Steph Curry or a few kicks and then it's someone else and he has been such a huge part of this team's identity on both ends of the floor and that didn't even mention his value as a screener and this was another you know this wasn't as dominant a screening performance from him as game two partially because Kerr just didn't go to it quite as much with Draymond but it was just another excellent game yeah and those drives I mean he probably had five or six of those in the first half when the Warriors just could not get anything going and getting to the foul line for eight out of nine just plays where he catches the defense napping or he realizes that in semi-transition they're worried about Clay and and Steph and so there's not as much help there at the rim and and you know in this series in particular against Portland you know he's one of the more athletic players out on the floor is particularly with the weight loss and I mean it's dead bang clear there's no way he could have been this type of an on-ball force earlier in the season or even last year at all you know I mean the the weight that he lost he is so much more explosive right now and obviously he's empowered with KD out but and and also there was just bad Portland defense to just give up these straight line drives just a lack of attention frankly but credit green for noticing uh, that lack of attention and then Steph Curry had another excellent game he got up 16 three-point attempts that made six of them so 38 eight percent totally good but when you can get up 16 attempts he had six of the Warriors eight three-pointers in this game but what Golden State was able to do at the rim again is just in large part due to his gravity and and the Warriors were negative 11 when he was out of the game in the second and it looked like it was really getting away from them but the gravity of Curry that's how you go 21 to 25 at the rim because he's drawing two defenders and then you've got a a man advantage attacking the basket Iguodala did not play well he is I don't think he made a three in this series he's only one out of five 17 minutes and did not come back in the game after about four minutes gone by in the third because uh, he has some issues with his left calf and he's gonna have an MRI tomorrow it doesn't seem like it was something that was as acute as as KD's issue but this is now a third muscle pull injury for the Warriors in these playoffs that is not good 
whether that's uh, overuse you know certainly kd you could look at that andre you could look at that maybe it's a training staff issue but muscle pulls are the number one thing that a training staff if you're good is supposed to be able to alleviate and also you know a good program of resting and stuff and they've had some pretty severe ones so certainly a missed opportunity for portland to not capitalize especially offensively with iguodala out but there is some urgency for the warriors to close this out in four and get him uh, some additional rest i would be shocked if he plays in game four agreed and we don't know at all if if durant and or cousins would be ready in a game five as well so you you might be you're going to be pushing the remaining guys really hard and it's in every other day series so it could also be a circumstance where kerr tries it in the first half and maybe the beginning and then if for whatever reason they don't have it in that game then you take your foot off the accelerator really fast and just say okay we'll, we'll try to do it in game five i could see that being a possible scenario we also got some reporting while we've been recording this which might bring a little bit of context for damian lillard's issue the in during game two in the third quarter when kavan looney fell on lillard lillard suffered suffered separated ribs and is playing through that so we don't know how much separated ribs yeah that's that's the terminology that was used by shams trania and tim mcmahon is separated ribs they're called they're like mcmahon has a source that says it's not a story he's always played through injuries but you know you see that all the time of like something like the the player or their sources try to downplay it but it affects them so it could that could be a factor in this as well as the fatigue and everything else yeah he was diving on the floor for a loose ball when kavan looney fell on him and i'm not sure exactly what a separated rib is i mean maybe that's like damage you know, rib cartilage issue that I've would be my guess heard, yeah heard that phrase before uh but nonetheless and he was having a, a pretty good game before that in game two i'm not sure where else portland can go from here i'm not sure it really matters down three zero there's probably not that much to talk about but i mean this is again the context of okay it's the west finals but just let's just remember for posterity let's remember when we're discussing preseason expectations for this team next year that you know this was probably the fourth best team in the in the western conference this year and they didn't have to play utah they didn't have to play portland and they didn't have to play golden state until the finals and that's why they're here they're not here because they're the typical strength of a western conference finals team and i think that's really been proven to me in this series with golden state very very shorthand uh one other quick thing yeah. i wanted to mention just because it was a memorable play even when the game was pretty much salted away there was a it was a fast break and clay thompson runs back and blocks i believe it was cj at the rim the warriors were up 11 with like two minutes to go and it was just a reminder of oh yeah it was it was evan turner evan so. turner okay and and it was just the the effort and getting into that mentality can make and it was a, a play that was also striking because of how little we saw from Portland doing that some of that is they just don't have as much rim protection they don't have they don't have as many players that can kind of pull that out of a hat especially if Lillard is limited but I mean the Warriors when they when they need it especially against a team that is not nearly as good as them and that description applies to the Portland Trailblazers that they just get so many of those backbreakers like there was a McKinney offensive rebound that was kind of along those lines too yeah and McKinney uh, again I thought Golden or Portland didn't do a good enough job of helping off Iguodala in game two I don't think they did a good enough job of helping off McKinney in game three three i don't think they did a good enough job of, of attacking mckinney either or stuff for that matter you know I, I think they they should have especially with cj and dame struggling the way they were i think to take some more opportunities to get those guys a matchup and, and let them just get to a, especially cj a good mid-range jumper against either the mckinney or stuff might have been something that they could look at going forward here uh and 
McKinney did hit one huge corner three-pointer that basically put the game out of reach but you still want to make him shoot the ball I will get to Toronto and Milwaukee momentarily but I want to remind you first that there's nobody on the planet like you so why buy a mattress that's built for everyone else Helix Sleep developed a mattress that's customized to your specific height weight and sleep preferences you can have the best sleep of your life that's what I'm doing right now actually I've had a Helix Sleep mattress since late in 2015 I liked it so much I DM'd their company Twitter account and said hey I would love to endorse it your product on my show and I think I was the first podcast that they ever were on and now they've been a sponsor for three and a half years and they've remained a sponsor because so many people who listen to dunked on have bought their product it's a great product couldn't recommend it anymore I get the best sleep of my life and now they've taken customized sleep to the next level with the helix pillow a fully adjustable pillow so you can achieve perfect comfort and if you're a side sleeper you probably need a little more support you're a back sleeper like me a little bit less support you can position it customize it perfectly and you get a hundred nights to try out your helix sleep products Go to helixsleep.com slash capspace right now. You can get up to $125 towards your mattress order. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. Get that $125 towards your mattress order. And don't forget with that slash capspace URL, you'll let them know that you came from us. So this was just a complete massacre. A 9-0 start for Milwaukee. Marcus Gasol really struggled early on again. And overall, I'm feeling like this might have been my dumbest pick ever in the history of this podcast in a series because I... A lot of what I was looking at was screaming Milwaukee and my pre-playoff expectation or, or pick had been that Toronto would win this series. I stuck with that trying to avoid recency bias from the Sixers series and it soon became quite clear that Toronto just has no way to get looks other than from three and that's been the conundrum against the Bucks defense all season. They don't foul. They are the best rim protecting team in NBA history and Toronto maybe can look okay when they're really running and they're really hitting their three-pointers the one good quarter they had with 39 points after it was largely decided it was in the third quarter when they went 5-11 from three in that quarter they had the 10 to 21 in the first half of game one but it's just so difficult for them in the half court I think they can look pretty decent stopping the Bucks at times but if they're not scoring they're going to give up transition themselves that was just the biggest take takeaway for me especially in that first half is just they can't get anything going inside you know and even when Brooke Lopez goes out of the game they've still got Giannis in for a lot of the time Ilya Sova is you know, probably the most aggressive help defender in NBA history with the charges he takes he surged ahead of Kyle Lowry in his personal charge competition and so they just could not get anything at the rim and they just don't quite have the passers and the ball movers and most importantly the shooters to get efficient offense going in this series in the first half of game two Toronto went four for nine in the restricted area and they took a 11 floaters they actually made seven of those 11 floaters but then that was really the only area where they did well one of nine from mid-range so just that overall shot profile and they got to the free throw line 10 times that was fewer than the bucks so there aren't as many places to cultivate an advantage and sure toronto they they they, actually i mean they had a pretty big turnover deficit there they it eventually evened out over the course of the game when the less competitive second half but for me even more so than the the shooting numbers like the ones i just 
excited. It's the quality of those looks. Toronto, they're they're having so much trouble getting, other than in transition, getting a clean look anywhere, especially around the basket. And so the the windows, the lanes that were there, even against the Sixers, and the Sixers are a very talented defensive team. They have a lot of they have a lot of good players, and they have length. That we've, we've talked many times about how how long the Sixers are, but the combination of intelligence, length, movement. I mean, Giannis is just so so fast, and he can he can recover incredibly well. That there there just aren't windows for these guys to get shots off. It's incredible. I watched their third quarter very closely, even though we signed off the NBA cast with a twenty five point game at halftime, and I didn't find a ton of reasons for optimism beyond the fact that you're just going to have a natural letdown up twenty five. A lot of the times they did cut it to thirteen at one point, and then they gave up immediately a three point play to Lopez. And it really, the only benefit of their comeback was Nick Nurse played his guys a ton of minutes when they were down, and so they weren't really able to rest. Just like in Game Six of that Philly series, where we kind of were like, "What is he doing this for?" Uh, but you're not going to tire out Milwaukee with their depth the way you would with Philly by keeping everyone in. It was uh, the things that stuck out to me about their third quarter. Obviously, they hit the five of eleven from three. I didn't think that their looks were particularly compelling. Uh, they finished really well, but on some pretty difficult attempts. Uh, you know, they were able to attack Lopez a little bit more one on one and kind of get him backpedaling so he couldn't just step up and meet them and really just be that mountainous rim protecting force. But they also hit some very difficult high off the glass type of finishes uh, in finishing okay at the rim in that quarter they did get more looks there to be sure but i'm not sure how much they're shooting at the rim there is sustainable they were just kind of making some very difficult shots the bucks were still there the other thing was they clearly came out with a mandate again which i'm sure nurse has been preaching this entire time to just run i mean guys like danny green everybody as soon as they got a rebound are just sprinting the floor as fast as they can and that helped them get some more pace again you know how hard is milwaukee trying at this point tough to say i think they need to give some more minutes to Ibaka and Gasol together uh they could at least they've got a little bit more size defensively and maybe you can lock them down Ibaka is a better shooter than Pascal Siakam who has just not had the touch from three hit one very late clock three in that third quarter and then immediately got his fifth foul I thought they were much better without him he's really struggled whether that's injury or he's just physically overwhelmed by Giannis or what it is you know he just uh, has not been good enough in this series so far certainly more Ibaka then Gasol uh, I think is the way of it here that can help well Here's and another, I, I think yeah, particularly that's important in the starting five because yes Toronto is I mean this Milwaukee team is brutally hard to come back on anyway but getting getting into a hole would be a big problem for them in game three or four and really the rest of this series well, and uh, yeah Gasol just is terrible on offense in this series right he he, he just can't finish well enough he's yeah, passing he, up shots like he's three of 20 from the field in this series oh god yeah yeah that's uh that's not gonna get it done for for your center and Ibaka at least you know he'll take the mid-ranger that's there that's the other thing they really need to do is they just have to stop passing up shots they you are not going this Milwaukee team is too fast they're too intense they're bringing guys off the bench who have a a shitload of energy if you are open for a jumper mid-ranger three-pointer whatever you need to take that shot immediately and and a lot of times that's Gasol uh, passing it up you know they'll get it on the wing and they'll be open and they're like oh i'm gonna throw it to the corner for a better shot but no you're gonna get closed down too quickly there are a number of sequences like that so that was a big issue i've got a crazy suggestion for you here danny 
i'm listening i think you go play some units with ibaka and gasol together or you could go with gasol and siakam or you could even go with ibaka and uh, at center but put your center on eric bledsoe interesting eric eric bledsoe has not made a three-pointer in this series he has looked very hesitant I, taking he, it. Maybe, he, he made yeah. one in gar- he made one late he so he oh, has okay. made a three right. yeah series. in the competitive portion he, he has not made a three and he's not a terrible three-point shooter but it just letting him bomb from three you know and you can kind of lazily close out to him and hopefully not give up like a ton of penetration but you know close out to a hand contest if he wants to go one-on-one against uh, Ibaka fine that'll take Milwaukee out of their offense and really just try and clog everything up inside you're gonna have to make sure that you get back but they're not getting any offensive rebounds anyway they had six in this game and Gasol hasn't offensive rebounded since like the second year of his career I would just give that a shot I mean especially if things start going poorly in game three at home it's certainly a a David strategy to be sure but I mean Gasol it it was that strategy has worked against his team once upon a time at the Andrew Bogut Tony Allen they're a David so you should be going for all the damn David strategies that you could try like that that's really what has become apparent in this series it it does look a little rosier for Milwaukee because their their role players did so well in particular in this game I mean Ilyasova was hitting shots he was had some big defensive plays seven of eleven from the field yeah this this might have been the best game of Ilyasova's career given given the the, stakes yeah Yeah. I, I think that's totally fair another strong game from George Hill I thought Brogdon looked good again physically for me with Brogdon at this point it's more about how he looks physically than whether his shot's going in or not because they're gonna they're gonna be in in big games moving forward now and and I mean Miritich did well too and so you have all of these talented players the the Bucks do not have to play anybody who is really a negative on the floor and so they need Toronto needs to try every single trick in the book and I talked about that remember when we did we did the NBA cast for game one and I said and I think I said it on the podcast as well I'm like no we need- did not do it for game one because I was sick oh that's right you were sick but we so then, then we did the podcast and I said yeah you need to try everything in your arsenal in game two because if you lose game two the series is basically over and they didn't do enough of that kind of like experimental stuff which is interesting because Nick Nurse has been very creative over the course of the season and I expect that we will see some more of that in game three on Sunday but the Bucks are just so damn good like this isn't this is a fantastic another reason for optimism perhaps Kawhi did break out a lot of it again in the second half where he only had two points in the first quarter uh, and only two field goal attempts in the first quarter which was when it basically uh, was pushed out of reach to Milwaukee he led by 14 in the first but he had 31 points and did it on 23 shooting possessions and i think he was helped by getting out in transition as well a lot of mid-rangers for him but it, being able to get to the foul line for 10 to 10 was big i thought that he was more decisive and quick attacking chris middleton in particular where you know that's where his advantage is it is quick attacks rip through get your body into middleton do it before the help can load up to him. i mean so much he's a very patient player i think that worked well for him in the sixers series but he's going to just have to go faster here i still would like to see more of him also just backing down from the wing and drawing a double team the they've done a great job one of the things that they tried to do was run him off of more screens and middleton was topsiding him really took it away Kawhi is not like the fastest off ball guy to where you know you can he could be denied to some degree so you just let him dribble in then to the wing and i like him attacking from the wing better i think we said this after game one because the reads are a little bit more defined than they are in pick and roll and the stats have been much better for him on isos than pick and roll in this series a couple other notes here 
Pascal Siakam got three fouls in the first half. Lowry had four. Siakam then picked up two, went to the bench with five. He could have got called for 10 fouls in the first half. He was like every single time someone drove, he was basically just like putting an armor on him. Like that's supposed to be a foul. I think the refs were just <laughs> taking pity on him at that point. You know, especially Giannis, he was just following the crap out of him. And, he, and help defense, he'd come over and put it, put his hands on the guy. Like he should have been called for, for more fouls than that. Uh, Brooke Lopez, what he's been able to do driving off of closeouts under control but at some point you got to get over and help on him Lopez going back to his days with the Nets actually has a very nice floater game and if he gets close enough he's just going to go up and dunk the ball so what he's been able to do uh attacking usually Gasol trying to close out on him uh, has been solid uh, that's how he got a lot of his points in that epic game one that he had uh and Lopez also I mean his multiple effort plays defensively there was one that stuck out where he contested out at the three-point line drops down forces a, a no shot at the rim they kick it back out and he's right back out at the three-point line contesting like the ground that he was covering uh, was uh, really outstanding just not something that we saw from him earlier in his career uh and it's also been impressive yeah. to see lopez make such a big difference and not be the most effective offensive player overall you know like this yeah he, he, well game of, one he was oh yeah, yeah game one he game. was but in this one you know he was still a massive positive despite shooting one of seven from the field and missing all of his threes yeah and Ilyasova picked up uh, the slack for him obviously he won't play have that type of a game again george hill uh, bounced back with 13 points as well brogdon i thought i really liked the aggressive aggressiveness that Brogdon is showing shooting the three I think actually coming off the bench has been good for him in that regard because he's a task to do a little bit more of a scoring than he is with the starting unit there was one fast break three where he just pulled it immediately and that's something that really with the way he's shot the ball from three in his career over 40 percent if he can just start hunting those a little bit more and getting his shot off more quickly that's something that really could make him even more of a threat going forward because he is a knockdown guy when he does get that shot off one thing that Milwaukee is doing is they are going under on Kawhi a lot uh, especially uh, on the DHOs just meeting him on the other side I would like to see Toronto set up for those a little bit deeper so that if they do go under Kawhi is in a position where he's comfortable to rise up from the mid-range Kawhi not really someone who's going to shoot the three on the move so I think that's been a good strategic decision by Milwaukee but uh or you also maybe can re-screen uh, on the side uh, as well but uh, that's another way to get Kawhi a little bit more airspace is having come out of the corner for a dho and then again when you're attacking from the side you're forcing more of a rotation than if you're attacking from up top it's easier to set up your help responsibilities and uh i think that's all i got do you think toronto has any chance of getting back in this series i mean milwaukee was so great in game two but i think they can win at least a game in toronto and whether that classifies as getting in the series is an open question but i mean there i i'm i was concerned I mean, I only picked Bucks in seven, so I can't be like, oh, I saw this come because I, I did. But Toronto's offense is is a real challenge. And yeah, I, th- I agree with you. There are some tweaks that they can make to get better looks. But other than, you know, getting those and making just a much higher proportion of everything, it, it's hard. I mean, this is a, a very tough matchup for them and something that I did not fully appreciate before the series started. Yeah, and we'll see. I, I think they'll defend better at home. Part of their problem has been that the Bucks have just played with more 
more energy and have played harder than them as the fresher team and the team that plays more guys and has a lot more depth that makes perfect sense i think norm powell he played 25 minutes in this one he he has actually showed something in this series his athleticism has been pretty useful he shot the three ball well so he perhaps can play more and do more and toronto maybe can get out in the transition game do a little bit better on the defensive glass we haven't even mentioned by the way the name Giannis Antetokounmpo who had ah you know just 30 points and 17 rebounds five assists two blocks and a steal yeah and uh, was I mean, and there were times in this game where he was absolutely unguardable too like where they're just they're yeah. just I mean Siakam hacking the ever-loving crap out of him consistently and only <laughs> Giannis only getting to the line 12 times I think it should it could have and arguably and I would say should have been significantly yeah and Giannis I mean he's we don't mention his name because you basically know what you're getting from him you're getting you know close to 30 points on really good efficiency and you're going to get great rebounding and physical dominance and create rim protection as well i mean to have lopez and him both out there is just really impenetrable around the basket so we're going to talk uh the off season for the okc thunder after i tell you about lending club if you're still paying off your credit card debt you know what it looks like you get that little breakdown that shows you that by only making minimum payments you might be paying off your credit card debt for decades lending club wants to get you out of that cycle so you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment since 2007 now 12 years they have helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans you don't have to go to a bank no high interest rate from a credit card at lendingclub.com go there tell you how much or i'm sorry tell them how much you want to borrow pick the terms that are right for you and if you're approved your loan will be deposited in your bank account in as little as a few days imagine that a few days from now you could be out of the cycle of paying off high interest credit cards lending club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over 35 billion dollars in loans issued go to lendingclub.com slash cap space check your rate in minutes and borrow up to forty thousand dollars that's lendingclub.com slash cap space once again lendingclub.com slash cap space all loans made by web bank member fdic equal housing lender so the kc thunder what does their cap situation look like going into next year with most of their roster from this season under contract going forward i think this is the best way to put it the projected luxury tax line for next season is 132 million and just the guaranteed salary for the Thunder, and that is nine players plus the stretched about million dollars for Kyle Singler. That amount is 143.5 million. So they're 11, they're 11.5 million over the tax line before filling out their roster, before their draft pick, which is projected to be worth two, which is worth 2.5 million, and really anything else that they could do using the mid level exception, all those sorts of things. And remember that they're also a repeater. So the repeater tax, unless they can duck under unless they can duck under it that's a factor here as well so it it doesn't look good for them but how how shaky that is depends entirely on ownership's willingness to pay if they're willing to pay this kind of a bill they can roll the same team back and maybe even get a little bit better yeah they will have uh the mini mid-level available could offer up to a three-year contract for 18 million with that of course uh, the repeater tax uh, on that uh, will be brutal by the way just to give you an idea of what the difference is between the repeater tax and the regular tax they'll probably end up having a little higher payment than this but right now just with the 11 players they have under contract or i think it's 10 and their draft pick they've still got a million bucks on there from kyle singler who was stretched out over five years last off season their tax payment as of now and this is going to get higher unless they edit some salary just 
to fill out the roster and whatnot would be 33 million and 49 million with the repeater tax so it's about a 16 million dollar difference there for the repeater tax so that's certainly significant but it's also not just an absolutely crazy number and as as you get higher into the tax which they probably will that difference as a proportion becomes lower and i do credit them for being willing to spend would have been nice if they'd been willing to spend in those james harden extension negotiations instead but you know whether that was ownership or management driven tough to say at this point but certainly you have to say it was at least partially management driven because they have been willing to spend so much recently yeah and the thunder are in this fascinating situation now because it is very hard for them to fundamentally transform their roster part of that is because they have so many players on really high value contracts you know russell westbrook paul george are going to make a combined 71.5 million dollars next year and steven adams another 25 8 theoretically maybe they could try to move him but adams while a very good player is paid a ton of money and that would be it's a hard sell to say okay you're giving 52 million i think it's actually 53 steven adams over the next two years without you know like anything else going in there and remember if they trade steven adams they're materially worse next season and that ties in with the other part of why it's so hard for okc to change is their limited asset pool so the young players they have that are that are talented i I would include terrence ferguson and hamadou diallo in that group i like both of those guys oklahoma city needs them in order to be competitive that ferguson is has been their best answer at shooting guard the last couple years diallo is intriguing he also missed some time due to injury this year but remember not only are they out this lightly protected this protected not lightly protected sorry heavily protected first round pick that is now back with philadelphia from the pachesniks deal years and years ago back in 2016 they also owe due to the well, no, 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 hold on, hold on. So, the, the, that the, was the jeremy grant trade sorry yeah, it was the grant yeah, trade which was well worth it by the way that was a good oh, trade for grant grant worked out well for especially them. because i think they're even money or better i mean they're 21st this year uh in terms of the yes yeah, so they and, could they could very well end up retaining that pick sure yes absolutely and, and then it just becomes two seconds anyway sure and then not a big deal but so they're they owe that pick but then also in the dennis schroeder trade and we're we're gonna see that that trade rear its head in the very near term that's a 2022 first round pick if they that they send to atlanta if they make the playoffs so what that means as a functional standpoint yeah you could make an argument okc is going to keep one or both of those picks based on how this goes but due to the stepian rule oklahoma city cannot trade a future first round pick until 2024 at the absolute earliest and going out that far first of all that's really risky from their standpoint because they have no idea who the hell is going to be on this team at that point just as almost any other franchise would be in the same boat and that's a big challenge and and then and some teams just aren't interested in something that far out okc could theoretically trade their the number 21 pick this year after the draft occurs because then that doesn't violate stepping because you wouldn't be without a first round pick in consecutive years but it's also like well what are you going to do with that it, it could they can't really wipe away their luxury tax bill and in terms of any reasonable deal that i can see mitigation is important and maybe ownership is well that that's what's necessary at this point but it's it's really you know if, if teams see their players as negative value contracts and they're not going to trade george or westbrook anyway it's hard to overhaul this roster yeah that's definitely the case and you know they don't have victor oladipo and the number 11 pick which is demonis sabonis was they don't have serge ibaka who they can move and presti has certainly done wonders remaking this roster on the fly when we didn't think it was possible before but now those assets have waned even further a couple of things i'll be 
keeping an eye one is patrick patterson and his 5.7 million this year you would imagine that they will probably hold on to him and try to move him at the deadline when they have paid most of his actual salary at that point a cash payment could potentially be enough to entice a team with a trade exception to take him on you know bet when he's got two million of that 5.7 million or so left uh, then it, it becomes a lot more palatable for another team or maybe you can just uh, give up a second to get off and there's no reason because the tax isn't calculated until the end of the year not much reason to trade him now when it would cost it more in terms of assets but i would be very surprised if you were on the team next year they could always stretch him but the deadline to do that would be september 1st and then andre robertson remember he's on this team right he signed that three-year deal uh, worth just under 33 million dollars do 10.7 next year there is no discussion that he could possibly be back this year he's had a number of setbacks with that knee the torn patellar tendon that he suffered i think he's had a third surgery on that now so who knows whether he can contribute next year an offensive liability in the best of times i'm not sure that spending basically two years on the sidelines is going to help much with that uh and it does seem i mean to me their number one problem is just not having enough offense uh, on this team and he certainly helps them defensively and maybe they just become this impenetrable force again if he comes back we haven't really seen him next to paul george hardly at all uh, especially not this version of paul george who, who is the number one option on this team so those are the two guys in the existing roster that we'll be watching and then we can talk about what they might need here Ed, can you describe the type of player i mean we know they need a backup center if nerlens is probably going to opt out of his 1.9 million dollars for next year uh he's got a player option there but outside of that and and you know he could maybe just be back there i could see noel signing a minimum somewhere maybe up to like a three million dollar deal somewhere else probably not five years 70 million but so outside of just a, a backup center what do you think they need most and whom should they or, or what sort of players should they target with uh that full mini mid-level or so i shouldn't say full just the mini mid-level is more accurate a floor spacing forward what they wanted from patrick patterson i think that would be an important thing yeah. to, to get to and and you know it could be a presumably be a low usage guy i've been thinking of anthony tolliver as a potential option there if that's yeah, what you know ryan anderson could be an okay forward off the bench for this yeah team if he gets if, if he, he gets, he gets out. he could also be a backup center for them theoretically depending on on how all that works out and yeah they have enough athleticism around him to that maybe they could make him playable sure i, I think that's a, a, a worthwhile gamble and I, i'm guessing anderson will not have a lot of high dollar value offers there on the table so yeah that that's interesting i thought they saw something from nader i would expect him to be on the team next year he's technically not guaranteed until early july but I, I i think that he he'll be on the roster making the minimum so it's not that not that big a jump from like a zero year minimum type of guy so i would say that floor spacing forward is probably number one in an ideal jared dudley would be a fantastic oh yeah he'd be wonderful group. for that and i i, I think i think and hope he'll have better offers on the table but you never know yeah and uh, mike mike scott jonas sure Jarebko, um you know wilson chandler maybe uh i think jermichael green's gonna be out of their price range green would be a very nice fit though if were he yeah. available I, i'd be interested to see, i mean markeith morris finished the season with this group but obviously signed on for the minimum you know they won't have any kind of bird rights to bring him back but maybe they feel like he and if the comments of his brother about his role in okc are any indication uh he probably is not gonna want to be back but you know markeith just didn't show anything there either so uh and was dealing with that neck issue yeah and they were playing and they were playing with 
high stakes. So, I mean, they didn't really have a lot of latitude to to try different things out. And so, yeah, I think that's good. Something that I'm sure a certain selection of Oklahoma City partisans won't want to hear. But remember that Dennis Schroeder was so bad as their lead ball handler when Paul George and Russell Westbrook were out that they had to stagger those guys. And theoretically, if they could have somebody else that could generate offense, they could run a pick and roll. I think that would be very useful for them. Now, I don't think that is as urgent a need as some of the other things. So maybe maybe you're looking more for just like trying to find somebody for the minimum. But, you know, if, if that theoretically, if the right player were available, I would consider that as well. Another guy who may or may not be out of their price range would be Garrett Temple at age 33. I think yeah, he'd like be him. A, a pretty good fit, yeah. a reliable spot-up shooter, uh, intense defender. I would be very interested in looking at Seth Curry if I were them too. Wayne Ellington, just, I mean, just to get like one guy who is just a dead bang knockdown shooter i think could do so much for their offense and you know there's not really any stretch fives out there at this point i think that would be great to have a backup center option who could stretch the floor you know, again i don't think that's going to be in their price range i mean i'm very interested to see what the market's going to be like for rotation guys like ellington curry temple rodney hood those type of players because yeah there's more space this year but there's also so many free agents where does the line end up getting drawn between the minimum guys and the guys who are making you know five million or so or you know do those guys get up to seven million or something like that so i'd be very curious to see what guys like those that we mentioned but you know i think some of those could be in their price range of course if they add another five million bucks that bumps you up another almost 20 million in repeater tax so that's uh that's something to keep in mind as well to be sure and you know maybe robertson is someone who could get moved to potentially you know it's easier to move you know Robertson is a big enough salary where maybe it's easier to move him in the offseason when teams have space I think Robertson actually would be an interesting fit for a team like Sacramento uh, where they'll probably have more space than they know what to do with and he could play the four there a little bit more but still you know be a, a give them really a perimeter lockdown guy that they haven't had since they had Ron Artest on that team years and years ago but that, that's just spitballing it at this point. But uh, I, I think OKC believes in Robertson enough and their defense was so good when he was out there just the first half of last year that they'll probably want to at least give him a, a shot. Um, what else we got on these guys? Anything? Well, so I, I mentioned Abdel Nader. Their other non-guarantee situation is with Deontay Burton, who they brought up off of a two-way contract. We'll see. I, I could I could see them picking up his, picking that up and just having him be on the roster for another year. Yeah, when's his guarantee date? I actually don't know at this moment. Uh, I'm not sure that it is on. Yeah, he signed so late. He signed so late. I'm not sure that, that that Pincus has it on basketball. But, but I'm guessing it's it's uh, it's probably pretty late. I would assume his, so. Yeah, his lack of leverage. But yeah, he showed some athleticism. Uh, could maybe do something well so i i kind of extemporaneously talked about it but i didn't mention it to you do you think there theoretically would be a market for stephen adams were the thunder to put him on the market um i mean, maybe in the sense that you would just take back bad contracts that are shorter but no i don't think so especially given how poorly he played the last three months or so of the season and uh, how poorly he played in particular in, in that portland series he's a guy who's very reliant on his physicality and athleticism so i wouldn't be interested in in him at that price i think he's probably overpaid by about 10 million a year or so at this point in time and so i in terms of being able to get someone back who would really be a contributor 
I would be surprised. Maybe there's a just by moving him, you can open up more flexibility going forward to use more exceptions and maybe take on some money in trades, that sort of thing. But I, it doesn't seem like it's going to be, you know, there, maybe there's a organizations that think more highly of him uh, than I do. I, I've always felt like he was a little overrated, regardless. Uh, anything else here, or should we hit some news real quick? Let's hit some news. We can start with unfortunate, I mean, disappointing news from uh, about Tyree. Evans. So Tyreek Evans tested positive for what have been classified as drugs of abuse. That, If that sounds familiar to you, uh, Birdman Chris Anderson had that. And the way that works is he is out of the league for two years and then he can apply for reinstatement. And yeah, OJ Mayo was OJ also, Mayo was also one of these as well. as well. So that's a massive punishment. The league is, the, the idea here is to dissuade players from using drugs of abuse and it's, and it's a stiff punishment but i understand why they have it and so tyreek evans it's gonna be a couple years in at least the nba wilderness yeah for for the 29 year old and i'm not sure whether it was his decision or the marcus decision for him to only get a one-year contract now if he had suspended it wouldn't have mattered anyway Uh, so maybe it was good that he that he got as much money as he could uh, over one year but certainly there are some dubious personal absences during the season for evans and and hopefully he's gonna be okay but uh, we will not be seeing him in the nba for some time ramona shelburne confirming what i think pretty much was already obvious the lakers will not hire a president of basketball operations to replace magic johnson so they will stick with rob palinka and the rambi kurt and linda rambis as they are now being called it in Lakerland. but in theory palinka is now the top basketball decision maker for the team in new york uh deontay dotson is going to have rotator cuff surgery he had some moments this season i've always liked how hard he's played very dependent on whether he can hit shots or not but he's under contract on a non-guarantee next year but it's a low enough difference between his number which is i'm sorry did i say deontay dotson no it's damian dotson that was really dumb uh his 1.6 million for next year guarantees on july 15th so they will know whether they need the extra space or not his space over the rookie minimum cap hold that he would take up is about 700k so if they need that they'll waive him of course they could always potentially bring him back or someone that could claim him which i actually would uh, i like him i'd consider yeah him yeah but rotator cuff surgery i mean that's something you know paul george is going to be out uh, a long time with a similar surgery so i'd imagine that you know it's something that's going to keep him out through most of the summer interesting little piece of news from chris mannix's piece i think it was mostly from what i recall mostly about the draft but he had a nugget in there that when alvin gentry was talking he said that david griffin and aaron nelson who is the who is the son's former medical leader that has now moved over to the pelicans they submitted a request and a plan to upgrade the the pelicans facilities that has been approved and the cost is about $800,000, another sign that Gail Benson is putting the resources to bear, and that presumably is part of why Griffin and Nelson agreed to come on board. Huge positive for the Pelicans. We're getting all of these data points that are going in the right direction, unrelated to them winning the lottery, but certainly that helps as well. And a couple interesting pieces of news. In, uh, well, here, also on, on New Orleans, sure. uh, Jackie McMullen saying on, on uh, a rival podcast whose name we shall never speak. No, it's a hoop collected with Brian Windhorst. It's very good. Uh, that she had heard, I don't know if I would classify it quite as a report, that Gail Benson, and I think this has been reported in, in multiple places, or at least mentioned in multiple places, it was over her dead body that Anthony Davis would be traded to the Lakers. Benson actually went on record and said, no, that was not true. So we'll see. It's something, uh, one of those nullities that probably the only way it could ever
never be proven or disproven is if they in fact do trade them to the trade into the lakers and then other executive news out of washington here the wizards have in fact offered tim Conley their head front office job he met a couple days ago with owner ted leonsis and we'll see uh what the decision ends up being and perhaps Conley is giving denver a chance to give him a raise or he's just trying to make the decision with his family or what but uh this will be an interesting few days uh, for nuggets fans in particular having had their most successful season in a decade sticking and then sticking on yeah. the nuggets uh, a piece of news that Juancho Hernan Gomez, favorite of both of ours, underwent successful core muscle surgery in Philadelphia. And that's this, the, apparently it's the same place that several Nuggets have had a similar operation because they've had a series of different guys that have had have had core muscle issues, which is bizarre. Yeah, and Jamal Murray was one of them. Jamal Murray was one of them. And so I would say overall that that's a positive thing because Wancho, he had looked so good in the early part of the season and then just fell off a cliff. And I much prefer it if that comes due to injury than just sudden ineffectiveness. Still need him to recover and everything else. But hopefully he can be a part of the rotation moving forward. I'm a big believer in Wancho. I think that he is a, if the Nuggets do not believe in him, he is a buy low candidate for a ton of different teams. And then Tillman Fertitta had an interview with the Houston Chronicle in which he said that not paying the luxury tax last year was a total accident which involved probably 10 different moves or non-moves he said that they he has authorized that for next season and then comes the news that rockets associate head coach jeff bizelic who was a big part of instituting their switching system two years ago then was not offered a raise and left the rockets only to be brought back when their defense was a complete disaster at the start of the season has now been let go from the rockets let go was the specific reporting in the from Jonathan Fagan he used that term and Bizdelic had said he wasn't sure if he wanted to be back uh I think he's 66 uh, at this point so it's certainly quite a grind to be uh, coaching at, at that age to be sure but another not great sign in terms of the decision making the cost cutting etc and for Tita also in that Houston Chronicle article was very adamant about how important getting to the conference finals is and he also mentioned how some of the monetary things like another game you get part of the opponent's gate uh if they'd be able to force a, a game seven and then getting to the west finals they get more home games and that helps defray the cost it does seem though that much like we've been focusing on this with portland and denver that Fertitta is having the opposite problem now where he's judging this season as more of a failure than maybe it should be just because they didn't make the conference finals when hey you had to play the warriors like what do you, you know that you played the best team you clearly were better than these other teams now it probably was a disappointment to him too that they couldn't beat okc and actually get the two seed which was open for the taking with denver losing on purpose but it's still uh Fertitta has not done much to alleviate concerns about his spending and uh stewardship of the franchise so far here right and i i i toned it down on twitter i was aggrieved after reading fagan's article not not due to his reporting i mean he basically just ran what uh, to be clear i'm not sure it was fagan who actually had the interview with with Fertitta. it might have been another it might have been another reporter. but i yeah i guess i read his piece and it was it had a lot of quotes and so i thought it might have been i i you're right i'm not 100 sure of that but it was myth making out of pure cloth like it's 
It is so blatant, the moves that Houston made. And yeah, I, it was funny when I did that, there were some Rockets fans in my mentions going like, oh, they were going for, they were going for Garrett Temple and they were, go- they were doing all these other things and the deal fell through. Maybe, you know, the, those things are entirely possible, but they did not use their mid-level exception in full. They used parts of it, like on some of the, you know, like the Hartenstein contract and some of the other stuff. They traded their first round pick not to get better, but to dump Brandon Knight's contract. So that was bad money in 2018-19 and in 2019-20. So that helped get them presumably either under the luxury tax or to mitigate the luxury tax for the upcoming season. And yeah, and, and in fairness, I mean, Schumpert was better than Knight sure. for them. But but, but, but they could yeah, have, but they could could have gotten somebody that, right. a whole lot better than Schumpert if they were using their first round pick to unload right. the team. They and, dumped and, and, James Ennis for nothing. And he granted, he showed more in Philadelphia than he did in Houston, but yeah, he was an option. Maybe he does better than Gerald Green. Green did at the start of the fourth quarter in game six when he was a total disaster. Right. And and all of these moves, there isn't really a cogent rationale outside of fi- outside of a financial one, especially when you consider the resources that were given up to do it. There was cash involved in some of these deals. They gave up the first round pick. I believe they also threw some seconds in with some of the other small machination ones like the thing involving Wade Baldwin, maybe. And I think the other reason it bothered me was because I thought it undersold the job that Daryl Morey did. Now, the ideal answer would be that Fertitta would just not talk about this. But Daryl Morey did a really impressive job of trying to build the best possible team while avoiding the luxury tax. And to say that it was a fluke and to say that it was an accident, it wasn't. Like, it, it, it absolutely wasn't. And it bothers me when, it, not only does it bother me when somebody does that, when somebody tries to say something that is blatantly, blatantly not true, but it's concerning to me as somebody who wants every team to be well run, because whether it's a lot or whether it's, you know, like a, a, a mis- mistaken belief. Both of those things are intensely concerning for one of the league's most exciting and one of the league's best teams. Yeah, and some people are like, well, you have to tell us who they could have gotten. Well, how about any player who traded teams for less than that first round pick? And, you know, they, they had an expiring contract available that they could have put together you know, Marquise Chris they for didn't example, they didn't use the mid-level exception matching. yeah I mean that that one was just ridiculous I mean there's think of all the players who signed for five million or or less yeah so no they clearly cut costs and, and I agree with you I mean for him to be like oh yeah you know it was just Daryl Morey's idea that we did all this stuff like this is this is exactly what Daryl would have done he's operating completely unfair like get out of here uh all right anything else here or, or uh that we need to talk about before we go well we'll mention that we're doing the NBA cast for game three of Bucks Raptors that will be on Sunday at seven Eastern for Pacific time. You can check that out. That's our live commentary and yeah i have a bunch of pieces in the offing at the athletic working on off-season previews for the few remaining teams left and now i have to start working feverishly on the teams that might be eliminated soon so you can keep an eye on that but yeah it's, it's still gonna even if we have fewer games it's still a fun important week yeah and we will have uh dunked on tomorrow night as well and no nba cast on monday for game four of uh warriors blazers 3-0 series with a, a game four probably not worth it uh unless it's the nba final this is the last game of the season. All right, we'll talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.